0: Matthew chapter 23 is the most heated, pointed, harshest, most scathing address of Jesus Christ. Um, It is the last public address that he makes, the last public discourse. It's on the heels of the religious community trying him and questioning him and trying to break him down... In chapters 21 and 22, and him putting them in their place. And I don't want, you know, you wonder, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea is there listening, Saul of Tarsus, I believe, must be there. Uh, These are remarkable scenes. And now the tables turn, and it's his turn now. They've kind of done everything they wanted to do. And now he's going to speak. He's going to use the word hypocrite seven times in this chapter. Matthew uses the word hypocrite more than the rest of the Bible combined. You know, Matthew, probably this Levite, Levi, who has more Old Testament quotes than any of the other Gospels, and uh, no doubt maybe even raised to be part of the Levitical order, sees the hypocrisy, becomes a tax gatherer, thinks I'm going to get everything I can get while I'm here. And uh, because those guys in Jerusalem are doing it anyway. Um, And in this chapter, seven times the word hypocrite is more than anywhere else in the gospel. So this is his hypocrite chapter in some ways. And it has the word woe eight times. And when Jesus says woe unto you, that's never good. You can look up woe in the dictionary, you can ask them to show you what it means, but it's just never good. And it's woe unto you hypocrites here, uh, specifically seven times. I think it's good for us to look at it for several reasons. First of all... It's good for me to look at it, and I'm assuming you, and if you don't think it is, you're wrong. It's good for you to look at it, too, because there's enough Pharisee and scribe in each of us that we kind of need to get an alignment, you know, in the spring when the tires are out of whack, you get an alignment. Uh, we, we need that. I need that. This is a good chapter for unbelievers to hear, if anyone's here is not a believer in Christ. Because you need to know he feels the same way about phony religious stuff as you do. He can't stand it. So it's good for unbelievers to hear this. And it's good for people that are quote-unquote religious but have no relationship with Jesus to hear this because all of the smoke that they blow means nothing to God at all. It's about a relationship. It's not about a religious performance. And there's so many, that, that sadly, that feel... That way, Jesus now begins to speak to it, tells us the multitudes, verse one, and his disciples. And it seems like the religious leaders are gathering as he is doing this. And there's a lot of heart in this, there's a lot of, you know, it's visceral, there's a lot of pathos in this. He's he's sharing because he understands how religious hypocrisy gets in the way of people that are really seeking God and and how it really, you know, it it interdicts and, and causes those who may want to seek God to stumble. You know, there's nothing worse in our homes if we're telling our kids about the Lord and then we're drinking and cussing and doing other things, you know, you'd be better off don't even tell them. Just live that way till you get out of your system. Because to say one thing and do something else, particularly with kids, more is caught than taught. Uh, it's very difficult. And here the Lord is hard on this hypocrisy because it takes His children from Him. I don't think He's. I think He's heartbroken in some ways as He's saying it. He begins here by saying, Then, looked at the timing there a bit, then, spake Jesus, notice this, first of all, to the multitude, all the people are listening, he's gathered them, you know, he, he, he's put the Pharisees and Sadducees in their place. So he speaks to the multitude, notice this, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees. Now, look, the scribes were mostly Pharisees, but they actually copied the law. So they were called doctors of the law, lawyers, scribes. They were supposedly more familiar with the scripture than anybody because they copied it. Most of them were Pharisees. The Pharisees were the group that developed in the intertestamental period after the Babylonian captivity and so forth, that were more orthodox, that clung to the word of God, that didn't. And here, after the centuries have gone by, now they become legalistic. They have, And the Sadducees are just gone. They're the hedonists. And he doesn't even address them here, just Pharisees and scribes, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. The idea is they're the interpreters of the Torah, of the law. Nothing was legally passed down from Moses to them. But they had, even in the synagogues in that day, there was the seat of Moshe. So if you got up and you were a guest speaker, you were going to say something, you would sit in that seat, which was in a prominent position, the seat of Moses. And the idea was you were going to teach from the the Torah, from the law. So he said, they sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever whatsoever they bid you to observe, whatever they ask you to do, if they're teaching the scripture, speaking as someone who's opening the word, that observe, and notice he says, and do, don't just hear it, observe, hear it, and do it, but do not after their works, don't imitate them, for they say and do not. So as we go from verse 1 down to verse 7, we're constantly going to hear about they and them. And you'll see when we get to verse 8 to 12, then it's you, you, how he wants us to be different. So he says, whatever they bid you to do, to observe, they're teaching the law, then, then do that. But don't follow their example, for they say and do not. They're all, you know, all talk is the idea. Um, Peter tells the elders in his day they should lead the flock by example, First Peter 5, 3. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, and they lay them on men's shoulders... And they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And now, the culture in the day, a Roman soldier, the Hungarian right, anytime he wanted, could lay his spear's shoulder on your uh, sword on your shoulder, and you'd have to carry a burden for one mile without asking a question. Jesus said if they bid you to go one mile, go two, you know, be a testimony. And here the religious leaders would exert some kind of influence over people in the same way and say, you need to do this, you need to go here. He sa- "He says, they bind on men's shoulders these heavy burdens that they themselves are not willing to move them with one of their fingers. Now look, Jesus is, he's got boil and bone marrow as he's as he's doing this, you know, because he's the one that said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is Jehovah God in human flesh, He is the Messiah. And he is so diametrically opposed to the religious leaders that are supposed to be representing him. And he said, instead of saying, come unto me, you that are labor and heavy burden, he says, they are laying burdens on you that nobody can bear. They're they're putting people under the law. They're not bringing them to the presence of the Lord. So he says, but all their works they do to be seen of men. Look, one of the things he's saying here, he's going to say, Look, they they teach the word. They sit in Moses' seat. So listen to what they say and do the things that are in the word, but don't turn away. So it's very important. He's saying, look, don't let hypocrisy turn you away from the word of God. Everybody in this room, there is hypocrisy. We know the word. And the worst kind of hypocrisy is religious hypocrisy. The worst kind of thievery is religious thievery. So for you and I, the exhortation is, look, don't let hypocrisy turn you from God's word. Because you have to be careful in your heart if you're compromising or you're backsliding and you're looking for a reason to stay away from the word of God. That's what we hear from backsliders all the time. There's so much hypocrisy in the church. you're not going to stand in front of Jesus someday and say, Well, Lord, you know, it was too much hypocrisy in your church. He's going to say, What did you do? You know, you're going to go there and complain about other people. So the Lord, though, because He loves us, is saying, Look, and to these people, to His disciples, don't let this hypocrisy turn you from the Word of God. Because the Word of God is genuine, the heart of God is genuine. His will towards his people is to lift burdens off of them. Don't let this hypocrisy tonight for any of us turn us from the word of the Lord. He says, but all their works they do to be seen of men. They love to be seen of men. You, you and I don't know anybody like that. They make broad their phylacteries and they large the borders... Of their garments. Um, you, the phylacteries, you know, it says that they were to bind the Word of God on their hands and on them. By this time, they have boxes. You see them in Orthodox Jews today in Israel. They're bound on their forehead, a box with portions of Scripture, usually Deuteronomy, Exodus, or on their arm. And in Jesus' day, they made from Deuteronomy and Numbers, I think 35. It says they were to make a ribbon of blue, a border on their garments, to remind them of their relationship with God Almighty, with Jehovah. You remember the woman with the blood flow? She came, she took hold of the Craspadon, the, the hem of Jesus' garment, that blue garment, the blue hem that, rem- that, that really she finally found a man who really had a relationship with heaven. And she took hold of that that border that represented that. Here Jesus said they love to make you know they don't do anything they don't walk with God but they love to tie big boxes on their head and their arms and they love to make the ribbons you know the the tassels on their garment really long and ostentatious you know they they love that uh, their special costumes and their special seats you know He tells them here and they love the upper uttermost uppermost places at the feasts, the chief seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called of men, rabbi, 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 they they love that. Uh, Four things it tells us there. They love the upper, the best seats at the feasts. There's nothing in me that likes that. I can relate. It's a good warning. They love the best seats at the feast. They love the chief seats in the synagogues where you got the most notoriety and recognition. They love the greetings of men in the markets. Oh, Rabbi, oh, Rabbi. You know, they they see the way they were dressed and so forth. And he says, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Uh Jesus said, you know, you do your righteousness. Don't, Don't blow the trumpet. Don't be seen in public. Don't when you pray go in their prayer closet. Pray there secretly. And Jesus encourages them in a completely opposite direction. You know, and we have this culture, you know, in in Christianity. If people come here and and they say Reverend Joe, I know they're strangers. <laughs> Once in a while I'll get Father Joe, but you know. Uh, And we're going to get to that here in this text too. But but, uh, you know, but there's people who love that. You know, just call. You know, I used to have a friend who had a master's degree, and uh, whenever he met somebody with a PhD and said, "Well, I have a doctorate," he'd say, "Fine, I'll call you doctor. You call me master." (laughs) (laughs) You know, people. You know, look, if you're a doctor, you're a medical doctor. I don't mind calling you doctor. I hope you really learned what you're supposed to know because you're gonna mess with me, and uh, you deserve to be called Doctor, but we don't need to be called pastor, you know that that's a way we should function. We don't need no titles. I mean it wasn't like uh, Apostle Peter, Apostle John, uh, you know, it was Peter and John and Jesus. If Jesus was Jesus, then Joe is Joe, as far as I'm concerned. you know, but he said these hypocrites, they love the titles. But be not ye, now verse 8, he switches from them and they to you. Be not you called rabbi. You don't need the title. For one is your master. Rabbi meant teacher, it could mean master, rabboni, my lord, my, my master. Be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master. Even Christ. Isn't it interesting? He's, there is Christ standing in the middle of him. He said, you have one master, that's the Messiah. And he's standing there. They're going to kill him in a couple of days. He's standing in the middle of it saying, you have one master who is Christ, who is the Messiah. And all you are brethren. You have a common father. You're all pupils, not teachers. He said, you're all brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father, which is in heaven. Now, by the way, look, the idea is you're not supposed to call any man father in the sense that he has spiritual rule over your life. I had a dad. I called him dad. I called him father. There's nothing wrong with that. He's not talking about biology here. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians... Uh, 4, I believe, he says, look, you, you know, you have not many fathers, talking about in the faith, people who cared for you and so forth. Um, First John chapter 2, he said three times, I think, I write unto you fathers. So, so it's not tearing down respect, you know, it says somebody with the hoary head, you're supposed to respect them, you know, and so forth. Uh, it's saying you're not supposed to let a human being be your master spiritually. You know, when I, uh, in my life, there was, sh- you know, shepherding in the church where you have to submit to your elders and submit, and it's destructive in your personal relationship to the Lord. So uh, here he says, You don't need any titles, and you don't need to give anybody any titles because the Messiah is the person that should have all the titles in your life, the safest place to be. But he says, he that is greatest among you, we've heard this before, shall be servant of all. No, no deity, clergy, and laity, as far as he's concerned here. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, is also in Christ Jesus, it being in the form of God, thought it robbery, to be equal to God, took upon him himself the form of a servant, it was made in the likeness of, of men, and he died that death, even the death of the cross, and so forth. So, let this mind be in you, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself That's the person that will be exalted. God knows how to do that. Now, so he said, they do this, you do this, now we come to the woes. But woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Now look, you have to understand, they're standing all around them. Scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders are there... And he, no doubt, lifts up his head and looks at them as they're standing around in their robes and their costumes, or pajamas. And he's just going to talk to them in a way now that people have never heard anybody talk to them like that. And they have never heard anybody talk to them like that. And Jesus is going to turn around and say, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And you know there's some people going, Try not to laugh, you know. And they're looking, because they knew it was phony. You know, the Essenes at this point in time who lived down um, by the Dead Sea refused to go up to the temple in Jerusalem because they said the Pharisees and Sadducees were such hypocrites. They refused to go up there. So the people knew. So Jesus now, he turns and he starts. He says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites want to create, because they love the uppermost seats, they want people to be dependent on them. They want the notoriety. They want the affirmation. Jesus has said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. He had opened the door wide for people to come. He says, woe unto you, because you don't enter in, and you're closing up the door, so other people can't come in. How terrible, you know, as as he's doing this. He says, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Now, for some reason, some translations don't have that verse, and they say some man- it's hard to find the man- manuscripts that don't. It's easy to find the manuscripts that do. I- I've never had a problem. I think Jesus said this. Uh, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for, he says, you devour widows' houses. We know from the scripture that Talmud said that it was responsibility of the husband, the head of the home, to hire a scribe to write out the will and then to be the executor of that will when they died. And of course, the scribes and the Pharisees came to the widows and said, well, if you give this... And if you don't, you know, you you take this and you you know give this to the temple or to the priesthood, or if you dedicate this, you know, he says he says you devour widows' houses, you take advantage of them when their husbands are gone. You you know you do this, you know. It's it says that when the Romans came into Jerusalem in 70 A.D., there was two and a half million sterling in the temple vaults, which is an unimaginable amount of silver unimaginable it was a racket and you can see why jesus turned over the money changers now he's verbally turning over the money changers woe unto you scribes pharisees hypocrites paul's going to teach that the widow has a place in the church and should be ministered to for you devour widows houses and for a pretense you make long prayers you act pious you hypocrites you know and, and and therefore you're going to receive the greater damnation. There's some televangelists that need to read that verse too. I think. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. You 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 cover go to the ends of the earth to make one convert to your perverted religious activity. And when he is made you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. And it's of Gehenna there. And, and the same thing goes on today. <clears throat> Woe unto you, blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. So he says here, you know, woe unto you, you're blind, you guys are blind. You 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 tell people that if they swear by the temple, it's not binding. That's the idea here. But if you swear by the gold that's in the temple, that is binding. You have to keep that oath. Um, so so he says it's ridiculous. Who shall swear by the gold of the temple? He is a debtor. You have to keep that Verse 17 says, "Ye fools!" Now, in the Bible, we know fool is different than fool in a culture today. The Bible says the fool says in his heart, "There's no God." The fool is hard to instruct. But Jesus uses a different word here, and in the Greek, it's moron. I really like this, you know. Just he says, "Woe unto you, blind guides! your are blind morons." Which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple doesn't matter. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, you, then you're on the uh, you're a debtor. You morons and blind! For whether is greater, which one is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? You know, are you kidding me? He says, and whosoever shall swear by the altar, they say it's nothing. But whosoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is guilty. He is blind. They do the same thing there. You they all swear by the altar, you can keep the vow, you can break the vow, but if you swear by the gift on the altar, you better keep that vow. And he, and he, he says the same thing here. Um, whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. If you realize the altar is the divine part of this, it sanctifies the other things. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, listen, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. So all is made all is sanctified through that which is sacred, certainly of the Lord and of his throne, not of the, the treasurer and the money and all of that stuff. You know, and look, the, there's, there's a lot of this that goes on in the church today. And, and if you, you know, on television, that's what I mean, this chapter's good because unbelievers need to know that Jesus does not go for this stuff. He'd be turning over the tables of the money changers today. And you watch television sometimes and the way they are begging people for money and then condemning people if they don't give because the kingdom's going to file chapter eleven it it is unbelievable to me to see some of this we lived on the west coast one of the major evangelist quote unquote TV evangelist I won't say his name but he looks like the joker he uh They they do these demographics. They find out if they, in a certain area when they ask for money, if they talk about kids with cancer, they get the best response. So they'll talk about kids with cancer in that area. They find in a different area, if they talk about little girls that are crippled in a wheelchair, they get the greatest return on their money there. And that's what they'll do in that area. And they have demographics about robbing people all over. It, It is unbelievable what they do. You know, again, I, heard, I I I hate to say this, I've said it before, but it's stuck. Pray for me. Uh, this guy said, you know, he said, you know, the reason that I have this house, mansion, in Florida, and a boat, 45-foot yacht, is he said, you know, I, I, there's so much stress, he said, from, from what I do. And he said, to all of you send in your letters for me to pray for you. And he said, I, I, there's so many letters, I just lay on top of them. And the doctor told me the ink from the letters going through my skin, and it's causing all kinds of stress. And he said, I tried just going to the golf course, he said, but chasing that little ball around made me more stressed out than ever. And the doctor said, you need to just get somewhere and fish or something. So he said, so of course, I, I got this house and this little fishing boat in Florida, and it's good for my stress. You think, come on, man, I'm born again, not born yesterday. You you know, I wouldn't have listened to you when I was taking LSD. Why do you think I'm going to listen to you now? It's funny, but isn't it true? You know, look, and here's the thing you guys can take for granted. When you have a biblical hermeneutic, when, you're, when you have a biblical worldview, if you're taught the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. I constantly have people from our church that have come here for years Will come back and say, hey, Pastor Joe, I was in this place and this guy was doing this. That's wacko, isn't it? And I'll say, very good. You get an A. You know, Because the word of God, the more you know of it, it's freeing. It sets you free. It doesn't bind you and shackle you. So, you know, these people are out there. Woe unto you, verse 23, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay your tithes of mint and of anise and of cumin, and you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now he says, these ought you to have done, but not to leave the other undone. So he says "Are you hypocrites. And they would grow their own herbs, by the way. You didn't get McCormick herbs back then. They grew their own herbs. And he said, you tithe. Imagine your cumin. You're picking out the seeds. Nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. Picking out these little seeds. He said, you tithe of your mint, your anise, your cumin, and so forth. And he said, but you forget all about justice and mercy and faith. He said, all right, these you should have done. The law was still in effect. Christ hadn't died on the cross yet, so so you you tithe of your seeds fine, but you have left the greater things of spiritual life undone. You're not merciful. You're not kind. You're not caring for people. You have no justice in in your practice. You have no mercy. You have no faith. Ye blind guides... You strain at a gnat, and you swallow a camel. You blind guys, which strain at a gnat, not, not strain out a gnat, strain at a gnat. You know, what they would do, the Pharisees, and you could by the way, still see it in Israel today, in Orthodox Jew, if they get a gnat in their throat, they're trying to get it up, because that gnat may have sat on a Gentile, and suck some blood before they got it in their throat. So it's not kosher. You'll see them even today do this. Now the the camel was the largest unclean animal in Leviticus. You know, and they weren't having to deal with elephants in, in Israel. So as they wrote the law, it mentions camels in Leviticus as the largest unclean animal. So both the gnat and the camel are unclean. But he said, you hypocrites, you blind guides... You, you try to hack up a gnat, and you swallow, the phrase is gulp down. So you choke on a gnat, and you gulp down a camel. I'd like to see that, by the way. You're tithing on your seeds, and you're ripping everybody else off. There's no mercy, there's no justice, there's no judgment. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup... And of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Uh, interesting. Uh, you make clean the outside. You, you guys know what this is like to to um, you, you know be at a restaurant or something and you and you're having a drink and then you see lipstick on it and you look at it saying, "I hope that's on the outside, not on the inside." Kind of a thing, you know. Um, All of you have had experiences where you encountered something that you wish wasn't there. Um, He says, you may clean the outside of the cup. They care what people think and what people see. But within, you're full of extortion, that's money. Excess is licentious, that's sexual desire. And and he already challenged them about their pride, so he's getting around this is pride, women, and money. Billy Graham said those are the three things that can take down somebody. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's what Satan tempted Eve with in the Garden of Eden. It hasn't changed since then. Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness, turned these stones into bread. It was the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. John and 1 John tells us about it, that this is the way the world operates. Jesus is warning here because the religious hypocrites have indulged themselves in extortion, excess, pride, and so forth. And he says, thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter that the outside of them may be clean also. Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles man, it's which proceeds from the inside, adulteries, murder, and so forth. In uh, chapter 15, he had talked about this. So, uh, again, a rebuke. Here it is again, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful... Outward, But are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. This is the Passover. When the pilgrims came from all over the Roman world, all over Israel, to this mandatory feast... What the religious Jews would do is they would take the tombs and the graves and they would whitewash them so they were recognizable. Because if you came all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and you stepped on an unclean place, you were unclean then. You had to go through seven days of purification and you missed the feast. So they would take all of the tombs and all of the graves and they would whitewash them. But he says, that's what you're like. You're like these whitewashed tombs. You know, outwardly you can, you've got, it looks a certain way, beautiful, it's all fixed up, it's painted. But inwardly those tombs are just full of dead men's bones. And that's what's inside. I I can't imagine Jesus saying, Joe, you know, you look good on the outside, but inside you there's nothing but dead men's bones. I would just, you know, like the wicked witch of the West when they threw the water on her. I just shrivel up and, you know, I can't imagine Um, you defile you contaminate you're you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness and again the crowds are thinking boy these guys they got steam blowing out their ears even so ye also outwardly appear righteous to men but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity hypocrisy again the hypocrites an actor on the stage of life you know the two masks from the, if the, like the Walnut Street Theater, and the, 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 there are two masks, one with a smile, one's with a frown. That's the Hippocrates, it's somebody, you know, an actor on the stage of life, just caring about what people think. You're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets. And you garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the children of those who killed the prophets. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. You go through all this religious stuff, all of these religious traditions, all of these religious monuments, all of these religious tombs, all of this religious stuff. The church is plagued with this too in many ways. And, and he says, and then you say, hey, if we were alive in, in the, the, the good old days, we would not have killed the prophets and the holy men, like our fathers, do. And he says, when you say that, you're admitting that you're the offspring of those who killed the prophets. You're admitting that that you are their pedigree, their offspring. You get the same stuff in you that they had in them. He says you're admitting that you're the one, you're the children of those who killed the prophets. And then he says this: Fill ye up, then the measure of your fathers. Crowds are watching, listening, you know. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, because they killed and stoned the prophets and so forth. You're going to kill the Messiah. Fill ye up the measure. Bring it to its completion. Do what you need to do. Fill ye up then the measure, he says, of your fathers. Now, now again, listen, you serpents, (laughs) you generation of vipers, don't you love it? How can you escape the damnation, again, of Gehenna, the place of eternal suffering? The crowds are there. He says, look, your hypocrisy is poisonous it's ven- venomous, venomous, you know, you, 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 the way you act and the way you behave, it's poisonous to others that want to do what's right. It's poisonous, first of all, your legalism is poisonous to God's children who are growing in grace and the knowledge of who he is, and you make them afraid to come to him because you portray him, you know, as the big thou shalt not that lives in the sky, That isn't who he is. He put on human skin and he came down and he walked among us and he was hungry and he was tired and he was broken and he was betrayed and he was spit upon and he was crucified. He was beaten beyond human recognition. He's not the great thou shalt not that lives in the sky. And he said, but you hypocrites are portraying religion and God that way and as you're doing it, you're licentious. Your pride rules everything you do. You're after people's money. Your hypocrisy is poisonous, because it's recognizable, and people that are genuine, as they see that, it's going to turn some of them away. Say, though well, this is if this is religion, who wants it, right? Look, religion again from the Latin word railing, gary. It means to relink. Religion is man's attempt to relink with a holy God. And you ain't going to get very far. You know, you can get down the steel pier and say, I'm going off the steel pier and getting as close to Europe as I can on my skateboard. And people are going to laugh at you say, you got a long swim. And then some guy's going to come with a rocket on his motorcycle and say, you, "You, you idiot! You know, you're getting five foot off the pier. You're going to do this the way." And he's going to go off the steel pier in his motorcycle with a rocket engine, but he ain't going to get any closer to Europe, right? Man's uh, in his own righteousness is ridiculous. Religion, whether you got the skateboard or the, or the, the motorcycle with the rocket engine, you ain't relinking with a holy God. That's the problem. Christianity is him relinking with us. It's not religion, it's relationship. It's him crossing the chasm from here to Europe, whatever, you know, for the example. It's him crossing the chasm that no human could ever cross. And someday now, because we're in Christ, and look, we're still growing in grace and in the knowledge of who he is. He tells us one day and one day soon, this corruption, that's me, this corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. I still have a traitor that dwells within, but I keep that before the Lord. And he constantly says, come unto me, Joe. You're laboring, you're heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Not church, not religion. Take my yoke, come on. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly. You'll find rest for your soul. You know, some of the guys on staff were kind of reading this book gentle and lowly. Oh, man, it's slicing and dicing me. And it quotes a lot of the old Puritans and so forth. And, and one of them said, you know, the, th- the thing about your sin as a Christian here tonight, if anybody in this room doesn't have any sin in their life, would you raise your hand, please, so we can tell you, you have the sin of pride? <laughs> you know, look, uh, you know, he, he, he says the reason that Christ you know, has the attitude he does about our sin is because he is perfectly holy. And because of that, he's more appalled at our sin than we are because we kind of make compromises for the culture. Sleeping together. We love each other. I'm ah, having a few brews. I'm not getting drunk. Ah, i watch a little porn on TV, but it doesn't hurt. Ah, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Ah, it doesn't matter if, you know, you do gender, you know, the, we, we, you know, we, and we're kind of, you know, washed in that all the time. And we can kind of justify sometimes some of the stuff we do because of the culture we live in the church. And, it, and, he, and he says Jesus is completely appalled at that because, look, he's completely holy. There isn't anything in him that is cooperative with your sinful nature, with the sinful culture that we're in. He's the one who knows it more than anyone and is more appalled with it than anyone. But when he's appalled with it in the lives of his children, he runs to them. To heal them and to nurture them because he understands how deadly it really is. And then he says, Look, if any father who's a loving father, if his son or his daughter has cancer, he hates the cancer, but he doesn't hate his child. That's his child with the disease. And he does everything he can to get him to the best doctor, to treat him. His one heart's desire is to see him overcome that and get on his feet again. That was the Jesus that came into the middle of Israel. Who ate with tax gatherers and sinners, and he asked, you know, he asked those who were broken, he asked those who were away from God to come to him. That he would heal, that he would fellowship, that he would renew, that he would give life. You know, and the Pharisees, religious hypocrisy tells a different story, and it drives a wedge between Jesus and the people he came to die for, the people he loves. And that's why this address is the most heated by Jesus in the Bible. When he addresses hypocrisy here, he is talking to kidnappers that are stealing his children. In various ways. He says, You serpents, you generation of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of eternal hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets. Look, he's speaking as Jehovah right here. I send unto you prophets, wise men, scribes, some of them you shall kill, And crucify. Some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. The book of Acts knows all about that, by the way, and so do Christians around the world today. That upon you may come all of the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias. Who you slew between the temple and the altar. Upon you is going to come all of the righteous blood shed from Abel to Zacharias, the son of Bachariah. Look in you know it's, it's in Genesis four you have Abel slain. first person it's the first person in the Bible that's killed, and he's killed by his brother, killed by his brother for worshiping the way God said he should worship. Look, and and understand this, there were only two boys on the planet. They looked more alike than any identical twins had ever been born. They weren't twins, one was born before the other, but they looked more alike than any identical twins that had ever lived. Because Eve was made from Adam's side. Identical twins today have two sets of genes of chromosomes, you know, that, that give them both sides of the family contribute, even though that's the, the one egg that's fertilized. But these two only had one set of DNA. There was only one side to the family. God made Adam, and then he took Eve from Adam's side. So these two boys, and, and there was no, you know, Peer pressure. It wasn't like one hung with a group that like hip hop, and the other one hung with a group that like metal. You know, it wasn't like one of them loved football, one of them loved uh, golf. It wasn't like one of them. You know, you got two boys in the world more alike than any two that ever lived, and God holds them up and says, "All right, look, everything flows from here, from two sources." from religion or from relationship. There's the religion of man's own works, Pharisees, scribes, and there's the religion of substitutionary atonement, the lamb dying. And it all flows from there. The last book in the Hebrew Old Testament is Second Chronicles, Malachi in an English Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, it was... Second Chronicles, and in Second Chronicles, chapter 24, Zechariah, the son of Barakiah is slain. The Targum even talks about it between the, the temple and the altar. So from the first book of the Old Testament to the last book of the Old Testament, the righteous had been slain by the unrighteous. And Jesus said, all of that blood is going to come on you because here I am in your midst. Vipers, fill you up the sin of your fathers now that all that blood was shed. You're going to kill the Messiah. You're going to kill the Messiah. Your sin is greater. Verily, I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. By the way, when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he wept. Luke. And 1941 specifically says, sobbing out loud, he uses a word for somebody who's convulsing and crying. And he comes into Jerusalem. He said, if you only know this thy day, the things that belong to thy peace. Behold, now your house is left unto you. Desolate Children are going to die in the street. And when Titus Vespasian, we'll talk about it more next week, comes with the four legions and surrounds Jerusalem. One million six hundred thousand Jews are killed. Jews are killed. Over 50,000 are led away to be slaves everywhere. Jesus wept over it. Here, he condemns them, and he says, all of these things are going to come on this generation. I think his heart is broken when he's saying I think he loved the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He hated what they did to people. He hated their doctrine. When he healed the leper, he said, look, don't tell anybody, but go to the temple and let them offer the sacrifice Moses prescribed in the law. They had never offered that sacrifice before. It was a message that the Messiah is here. I think he wanted to win. In fact, it will tell us in the book of Acts that many of the priests end up coming to the faith. What a wonderful thing. He said, it's all going to come on this generation. And, And he ends the most heated address, his final discourse... His final leaving of the temple in these few verses. He says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often notice would I, not Jehovah, how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chicks chickens under her wings? and ye would not behold. Think about this. Your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth until you shall say, talking to some of the Jews that are alive today, no doubt. You shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? Uh, one of the guys I read is a Hebrew scholar, and he said, this is like Absalom, Absalom. When something's repeated, there's great, to, particularly to the Jew, there's great emotion in this. And here he's ready to leave the, leave the temple for the last time. This is his last public address. And he looks up, and he doesn't say, oh, Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem says it twice. And I think it's hard for us to know the depth of that. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, city of peace, and it's never lived up to its name. The purpose of Almighty God, how often would I have gathered thee together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. That's all I want. That's so all I wanted. I didn't want to fight with hypocrisy. I didn't want to fight with the religious establishment. I wanted to gather you, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted you, you know, to abide under the shadow of my wing, like it says in the Psalms. And some of the most tragic words in the Bible, and ye would not and ye would not. Now, your house is left unto you, desolate. The desolation that comes, 70 AD, Jerusalem, you know, leveled to the ground. The Bar Bar Kokhba revolts tried to raise it. It, it. It was just a complete failure. Again, the Romans come in. They changed the name from Israel to Palestina which was the Philistines, which was the perennial enemy of Israel. In our marg- jargon today, it is Palestine. It's the name from the Romans calling it Philistina, Palestina. Um, anybody born in Israel before 1948 was a Palestinian, whether they were a Jew, whether they were a Muslim, whether they were you know, a Buddhist, whatever they were. If you were born in Israel before 1948, you were a Palestinian. And the Romans did that to bring shame on them and named their country after their perennial enemies. Of course, the remarkable irony of all this is you go to Israel today and you have a Jew taking you on tour of Roman ruins. It's quite ironic. Now your house is left unto you desolate. Behold, think about this. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth Until, so there's grace there, until, there's a a till here. Till you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, his final words, and then it says, then he went out, it tells us he departed. The last thing, imagine the last thing he says to Jerusalem, to the temple courts. Henceforth you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Zechariah, chapter 12, you don't have to turn, I'll read it to you. It gives us the prophecy. It's the Lord of hosts speaking, Jehovah of hosts, and it says, It shall come to pass in that day, speaking of the last days, that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, listen, I'm going to pour out on them the spirit of grace and of supplications. Jesus said, you're not going to see me anymore until you say, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. I'm going to pour upon them the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications, listen, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. When did the Jew ever pierce the Lord of hosts? They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Amazing. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And then he says, of course, in that day, there's going to be a great mourning in Jerusalem and so forth. That day is going to come. Jesus said, you know, your house is left on you desolate. I, I, I came. I wanted to gather you. I, my heart was poured out. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You know, you go there today and you think, these people, you're standing in the middle of prophecy. They've been gathered from all over the world. of course it harks of another Jerusalem, one that's from above. But right now in Israel, and you can pray for Israel, and you've been part of the process, by the way, there's so many turning to Yeshua, as their Messiah. It's happening. We have friends in Israel that'll post the testimony of an Orthodox Hasidic Jew with curls and a hat that came to know Jesus as their Messiah. They'll post it. It'll get 250,000 downloads in the first few days. Every Israeli teenager is under their covers where their mom and dad won't see them watching the testimony because they're curious. They want to know who Yeshua is. You know, the refugees that came back from World War II to Israel, in their mind, Goyim, Gentile, and Nazi was the same thing. Because to them, Hitler claimed to be a Christian. Catholic Church worked in conjunction with him in some ways. So in their minds, the Gentile, the Christian, was always their enemy, and they made it back to their homeland. But the generation that's grown up in Israel today, the young people, have always known the evangelical church as a friend and the Muslim as an enemy. So there's an openness. They're listening, and sometimes against the will of the older generation. But there's a great openness. But Jesus said, but the days coming, days of the Antichrist, days that we're studying now, he said, when you're going to say, blessed is he, it comes in the name of the Lord, you know, and they're going to see it, and he says, then you're going to see me, you're going to look upon the one whom you have pierced, what a day, huh, what a day, what a heart God has for his people, unlike any other people nationally uh, on the earth, how remarkable, read ahead, if we're still here, and I don't know if we will be, if Tuesday's clear, the rapture will happen before the women's study, Tuesday night, I'm sure. But they're studying signs, you know, so that's one of them. Um, but if the Lord tarries next week, remarkably, they're, they're starting signs on Tuesday night. We're in Matthew chapter 24 on Wednesday night, Jesus Christ talking about the last days. Sunday morning, we're in Revelation. Duh. You know, I, I wonder if God is speaking to us, huh? I wonder. It's funny because when we started Revelation, I called Malcolm. He said, oh, "You start Revelation." I just started Revelation. David Rosales said, "You start Revelation." I just started Revelation. David said, "You're teaching Revelation." I just finished teaching Revelation. You know, it's like six or seven of the Calvary guys. How did they all get at the same place? And they cheated. They just went there. I took, you know, 14 years to measure out my study so we would get here when COVID got here. So you have no idea that the, the planning that was necessary for that to take place. <laughs> let's stand. Let's pray. We're living in these days. You know, look, wouldn't it be amazing? Someday we're going to be standing on the other side. I'll be 30. <laughs> I'll reintroduce myself. You'll recognize me. We're going to see so many. We, 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 you know, we do usually 80 to 100 funerals a year. Over 30 years, we have more people in heaven than most churches ever have on earth. Friends, relatives, loved ones. Imagine what it's going to be like soon to stand with them. People in our church today who we love that have cancer, that are suffering. Going through divorce, broken down, sexually abused mentally abused when they grew, alcoholic parents that are so scarred, we're going to stand on the other side. And this corruption will have put on incorruption, this mortal have put on immortality. And we're going to talk to everybody we saw for years and didn't get a chance to talk to. Maybe more than that, we'll know fully, even as we've been fully known. Think how close that is. And, and I love the Lord, you know, he says, no suffering." No death. I'm going to wipe every tear away from your eyes. No sadness. No sorrow. How remarkable. Because he's the same one that would gather us as a hen gathers her chicken under his wings tonight. Tonight. I want to go home before I go to sleep. I want to be under the shadow of his wings. I'll talk to him and say, Lord, I am a jerk. I'm so thankful you've taken care of stuff on my behalf. I'm so glad. Let's bow our hearts. Father, I know you've overheard and we do believe you're coming soon, Lord, and we believe you want us to live in light of the fact that that could happen at any second. Your return is imminent, Lord. And you said any man who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. So, Lord, let it be effective in our lives. Let us never take it for granted, Lord. And if there's places where there's Pharisee and scribe inside of us, Lord, give us grace to examine ourselves and in confession and repentance, bring those things to you, Lord. I know that you would have us do that, Lord, whatever we're heavy laden with, Lord, just to bring it to you and receive the rest that only you can give. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for the women on Tuesday night, Lord, just pray for the study next week, if, if, Lord, you tarry and we're, we're in this chapter where you spoke to your disciples about the the signs of your return and the last days, Lord. Sunday, Lord, Lord Tuesday mornings, all the studies, Wednesday night, the young adults and the, the addictions and the over-50s and the junior high and senior high and Sunday school, Lord, and all of the different ministries and all of the places where your word is being taught, Lord, the singles, are just everywhere, Lord. Home fellowships, Lord. On the radio and on the app, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that we can be in this culture, in these days, at this time, steeped in your word, Lord. How sweet. And Lord, we can't imagine watching the news or living in the days we're living in without a Bible, Lord. We can't imagine what that would be like. So, Lord, by your Spirit, continue to sow these things within us. Let let us take, Lord, a healthy inventory from this chapter, Lord. Let it be good for us and cleansing, Lord. and Let us, Lord, flee to you as you put things in front of us. We trust you, Lord, in that. You know our infirmity, Lord. You've been touched, Lord, in every way, yet without sin, Lord. And you are our great high priest, Lord. We come to the throne of grace, Lord. We pray in your name. We pray as we lift our voices and our hearts now, Lord Jesus, it would bless you that in the middle of this crazy, crazy, crazy world, that these voices, these hearts that rise off of Philmont Avenue, Lord, tonight, would bless you. Receive this, Lord, as an offering of praise. We pray in your name. Amen.